Few people would pay the town of Balmas de la Morladea any mind as they passed through the small agricultural village. With a population of less than 1,800, the most striking thing about the city is the castle, which towers over the small brick and plaster buildings. A reminder, when it was once a strategic location at the opening of a narrow transit route that connected the largest provinces to the heartland of Muslim-ruled Spain. It was during the times of Islamic Spain where it received its name, which was derived from Arabic meaning protected place. Javier Cavanias, the co-author of the book Los Caras de Belmez, described the town to us. It's not a city or a place where you can go and, and to cross. You have to go to Belmez if you want to go to Belmez. So it was very isolated from the rest of Spain, but it was not so different for so many people, uh, villages in, in this area of Spain. During the Spanish Civil War from 1936 to 1939, the town would become decimated. In a battle between the popular front government of the Second Spanish Republic, aligned with communist anarchists and the nationalists aligned with far-right fascist groups, the church saints were burned and their largest painting of the Lord of Light destroyed. After the nationalists won, with Francisco Franco ascending into power, the town briefly grew, but eventually withered away. By 1973, the people prayed for a miracle. That summer, those prayers were answered in the form of a religious icon on a kitchen floor. An icon which would grip a country, causing a desperate search for an answer to this strange phenomenon. On August 23, 1971, Maria Camara, one of the dozens of citizens in this small village, was cooking when she discovered something that would permanently change the course of her life. Uh, Maria uh, was at home cooking one day. It was on holiday. They have a big party, a big fiesta for all the, the village, and she was cooking at home. And she realized that in the where she was cooking what it's called la pava. Pava is the way, the slang they use in this small village to say about a place where you cook. In, uh, where she was cooking, there was something that looked like uh, a face, but not uh, any face. Her grandson was in her arms when they originally spotted it. A discoloration in the cement that looked like a face with sunken eyes and a beard draped over its gaping mouth. Something about the face frightened the child. It was no mere stain. They could feel a soul emanating from it. It was very close to the face of the Jesus Christ that was in the cathedral of Jaén. She thought he has found was a signal, let's say, from God, more or less in the same way of the Virgin of, in Mexico, the Virgin of Guadalupe. It was more or less the same thing. At the beginning, it was a religious thing that happened. Describing the moment later, Maria said, First, I believed that I was dizzy. Then I called the neighbors and we saw that it was a face. 
I don't know if he's a saint or a devil or what he is. Some, they say that it gives an heir to the Lord of Life, that they burned him in the war. The Holy Lord of Life was a piece of art that used to hang at the local cathedral before it was destroyed by the dictatorship. The holiday Balmez had been celebrating was in honor of this piece. News of the rebirth of the Lord of Life ripped through the town. Within a day, over 2,500 people had visited Maria's kitchen to look upon the face, now becoming known as La Pava. People reacted believing it was some kind of miracle, and in fact, in a few days, people from other places surrounding Belmer went to see the face, and you have bosses that went to, do, to see the, the face of Belmer because they thought it was the face of Christ. So it was still a religious phenomenon. The faces are to be seen would become a common refrain of Maria's as she welcomed her visitors. With the exposure the faces were gaining, the family became terrified of the interested parties. Not just the religious, but now the government and scientists were beginning to pay attention. One night, Maria's stepson took a pickaxe and destroyed the face, covering it with fresh cement. To their horror, the faces returned on September 9th. Not only did La Pava reappear, but more faces began to unveil themselves. The exact number is unclear, but by some estimates, there were as many as 500. This time, the news went directly to the mayor. Many were saying the faces were the only proof of a permanent paranormal phenomenon. Something that was undeniable, because you could see it with your own eyes. But the mayor wanted proof. He ordered a municipal bricklayer to the house and demanded him to remove the faces for examination. The bricklayer was to work with a team to discover the explanation for the faces. Soon, they hit upon a ghastly discovery. Under the home were piles of bones of decapitated children. The home had been built over an ancient cemetery. The bones were found by students from the University of Madrid, and they went to the village, they took the bones, and trial is lost. Nobody knows what happened with the bones. Even after the bones were removed and the floor replaced, the faces returned. But this time, it was a woman's pained face, surrounded by other childlike faces. Journalist Lorenzo Fernandez claimed to have an explanation for the severed heads. Through his research, he determined that the home had been a brothel and that the children were aborted fetuses of the prostitutes. Their neighbor across the street told the press, faces were made with the blood of the slaughter. For the first weeks, it was only a very local phenomenon. But at the end of January of the next year, a journalist from Madrid, Antonio Casado, that was working in Pueblo, was a newspaper very well-known at the time, heard about the story, and he wrote the, the whole story. So we are talking about the end of January, beginning of February of 71. That's when, in Spain, it was a very, very well-known thing. It was everywhere. We have only two TVs at the time. In, in Spain, a lot of newspapers, like radio, national TV, they were everything. For one month, it, it was really crazy. People from all over, not just Spain, but all of Europe, began making pilgrimages to see the faces of Belmez. There was not a ticket admission. 
but people went there and because they thought it was some kind of miracle, they gave some money. You don't have to. You want to give them some money. Now on the national stage, the authorities were suspicious of the money that Maria and her family were taking in. With all these people pouring in, the civil guard began to surveil the home. They believed that somebody was forging the faces, and they would catch them in the act. In an effort to crush the story once and for all, the governor called upon Herman de Argamosa, Spain's top authority on the paranormal, to investigate. Having worked with the University of Madrid, as well as being the president of the Spanish Association of Parapsychological Investigations of Barcelona, Argamosa had the credentials needed for such an important investigation. And he was of the first people in Spain interested in important phenomena, in psychology and everything. That's why he went to Belmet to investigate, and he was the main character in the story. And in fact, he was not only has money in spare time, and it's true that he was very well known in Europe, in, in the milieu, in the field of the 14 phenomenon, and he met Hans Bender. Hans Bender was a professor at the University of Freiburg in Germany. As the director of the Institute for Border Areas of Psychology and Mental Hygiene, he was best known for his research into poltergeists. Hans Bender was uh, the most important parapsychologist in Europe. He started working in paranormal phenomena with Nazis, with Göring, I imagine, with Himmler, and then he started, he continued working in Friburg, in Friburgo, in some small city of, of Germany. Uh, it's true that he was very well known. And he met Hermann de Argumosa. And Hermann de Argumosa says that Hans Bender told him that Faces of Belmet was one of the biggest mysteries on Earth. With Bender agreeing to visit Belmez, Argamosa brought a team of experts and journalists from Pueblo, the national newspaper, to Maria's home with a clear directive from the government. Put an end to the fraud. The plan was to seal the room, where most of the faces appeared from not only the outside world, but Maria's family as well. With the room cut off from all outside sources, they would bring in a notary to certify their findings. However, when they emerged, the results went missing. Many insinuated that the government was covering up the truth, but the participants could not be silenced. One expert from Argamosa's team, a famed muralist, would say of the faces, if this were a fraud, I'd like to meet the author, because of course, he is a real genius. Argamosa felt he had failed his mission. He was now a true believer in the faces, later stating, the possible trickster would have to be, apart from a painting genius, a very profound connoisseur of psychology. That is the only way to explain the pathos, the tragedy, and the horror that are reflected in these faces. Despite the enthusiastic response from the investigators, without the evidence, few were convinced, and more investigations took place. In 1975, Juan José Alonso, the director of the Institute of the Hydrological and Mineralogical of Valencia was the first to obtain actual samples of one of the faces. After Maria allowed them to remove the face, known as El Paello, he performed fluorescence analysis and X-ray diffraction. When the results came back, they showed that while there was zinc in the ground, it was not a large enough quantity to have come from paint. 
The only other substances that could be found besides concrete were silver nitrate and common grease that covered any kitchen floor. However, Alonso felt that he had finally found the answer. And in fact, he found it was print in the concrete, a foot in the concrete that looked like a face of someone. And it's true that you can see the pictures. If you see the face called El Obispo, you will see that it looked like a face, but it was in fact a print of a foot. Following Alonso's work, the argument over the faces broke out into public view with the trial of the faces, a spectacle where a judge presided over a debate of the faces' authenticity. It was presented as the mayor and the city council of Belmez silencing witnesses to the miracle. Journalist Martinez Romero reported that the audience sat enraptured as the main defense spoke for 13 minutes about encounters surrounding the faces that had been unknown to the public. When he was done, they sat in silence, stunned by what they had just heard. However, the prosecutors argued the faces were nothing more than paintings done with silver nitrate and ammonia. Eventually, the judge ruled, let this case remain pending until there is a better resolution and move forward in our desire to unravel the great truths of the macrocosm and of the spiritual microcosm that dwells in man. Martinez Romero wrote that the findings were prudent even if the lack of resolve left him with disappointment derived from neutrality. After the trial, there were three more major examinations taken of samples from the faces. And then this guy worked for the Council of Science in, in Spain. It was the most important institution. But he did it in his spare time. There are other people from the CSI, is the, the name of the, of the institution, that also did some experiment. The first one found that some kind of painting has been used. And the third one only found that concrete was concrete. Until the 90s, this was the last word on the faces. Nothing but concrete, paint, and footprints. But in 1996, a bombshell went off in the case. The faces of Balmez are authentic, read the headline on the paper, Enigmas. It continued, church and state united in a lie. The report is a real depth charge, and not only because it dismantles the theory of fraud, but also explains how a horrible conspiracy was hatched that deceived all public opinion. Iker Jimenez, journalist and controversial television host, along with Lorenzo Fernandez, claimed that they had uncovered the documents created by the notary in Argamoso's experiment to seal the home. The government-assigned notary verified that Argamosa and Bender had sealed the room for three months. When it was unsealed, not only had some faces changed, new ones had appeared. It not only verified what Argamosa had been saying for decades, but also uncovered a conspiracy called Operation Trident. Iker Jimenez will continue his research into the faces on his show, Cuarto Millennio. On the program, Jimenez brought in Dr. Luis Alamancos and Jose Javier Grasanea to take samples of the faces. Grasanea spoke to us about his work. Those faces were not manipulated. These are the, the, the typical uh, stains of concrete after sometimes. We, we used IR, infrared spectroscopy, and electronic scanning microscopy. 
these are the two techniques we use in order to the analysis we we did. Okay, the faces of Belmer work were natural ones. Apart from that, you have the the media influence in in this point, but uh, technically speaking, there is nothing to say. Because I mean, we, we cannot explain why why the faces are there. We cannot explain that. The explosion in news about the Belmez faces attracted the interest of computer engineer, world authority on transpersonal communication, SETI member, and president of the Spanish Society of Parapsychology, Pedro Amoros. He launched the Genesis Project, the largest scale examination into the origin of the faces to date. They removed a tile containing a fading face from the ground, but left 14 others in place. By recreating the humidity in the home, the face began to resurface as clear as day. They determined that the clarity of the faces depended on four factors. The humidity in the subsoil of the house, Maria's health, her mood, and how many people were visiting the home. The Genesis Project concluded that the origin of the faces was photography, Maria's ability to burn images into physical surfaces using only her mind. After working with her, Regressive hypnotist Ricardo Brew determined that the faces were Maria's relatives that had died in one of the deadliest sieges of the Civil War. On February 3, 2004, Maria Camara passed away. The question began to be asked, what would happen to the faces? Would they disappear? Would they remain? If they were truly tied to her abilities, shouldn't this mean the end of the phenomenon? On October 22, 2004, Amoros gathered with the current mayor to announce that not only had the faces not disappeared, but there were at least 20 more. The city would be acquiring the home of Maria Camara and starting a new organization dedicated to further study, the Interpretation Center of the Faces. To symbolize the town's full embrace of the phenomenon, the center would be located directly next to Town Hall but with new tourism flooding into their home, Maria's family pushed back on the sale. They began putting out images of the faces, more defined than ever before. No longer appearing as a stain, these were truly distinct images, as if made by a master painter. Tourism boomed in Belmez, igniting interest in two authors, Javier Cavanias and Francisco Manez who would aim to put all of the pieces of the story together from so many disparate sources. What they would discover is a series of lies, half-truths, and undeniable falsehoods in an effort to make a quick dollar. The faces of Belmez were a fraud. Okay, now Maria uh, Camara was a very, it's very important to understand who he was because when some people told the story, they forget her background and then try to show her as a, some kind of Madame Curie of mystery, and she was not. She had a, she, she had a very sad story. His father and his mother, I think, they died when she was very young, and she married uh, when she was still young. I, I think he has not 20 years when he gets married with Juan Pereira. Juan Pereira was a very old man who had, was widow and had three children in Spain in this area for a young woman to marry a very older man with kids 
meant for the people that she was trying to to find a way of surviving in life. Um, so she had a lot of problems. And we are talking a very old society in Spain. It was with a dictatorship, a very Catholic country. So uh, people didn't like her because they think she was in some ways dirty. And the faces of Belbe for her was some kind of revenge. And it's very interesting because if you miss uh, Maria Camara, Sometimes you, you miss the, the whole, the, the most important part of the story. The face in August 1971 was not even the first face that somebody had found in Belmez. Months before it happened, uh, another woman found a stone, it was not a stone, let's say a stone with something that was like a virgin. And these women kept the stone and put it somewhere in the, in the middle of nowhere. And from time to time, they went here to, to pray to the Virgin. But uh, Maria didn't belong to this group. So she was in some way an outsider of the, of the town, of the village, as I say. So in some way, Maria tried to, to repeat the phenomenon that has happened already in Belmet. The faces of Belmet, even people who have studied and want to forget, didn't start with Maria and didn't start at Maria House. A neighbor across the street said in an interview that Maria had actually discovered a face the year before in her kitchen. The quote, the faces were made with the blood of the slaughter, is a common misprint. In fact, he told the true story of how the first face was created. Maria had been boiling pork fat and meat in water when it splashed, causing the ground to burn. At the beginning, Maria would admit that the way she discovered the face was simply by sweeping the ground, unlike the story that would become famous of her holding her frightened child. Her husband, Juan, couldn't even make out the features. They were so undefined. In August 1971, with the upcoming celebration of the Holy Lord of Life, Juan's son decided to pull a prank on Maria. As before, they would use pork fat and soot to create a replica of the Lord of Life that Maria would find in the same place. It started as a joke. The, the children of his husband were the most interested in, the, in making money. At some point, she knew it was a fake, but it's also true that she believed in the phenomena because we know for her lawyer to speak to us and explain. Half of Maria knew it was not real, but the other half of her believed in the, in the phenomena. She was in some way trapped because his, her life was the, the faces of Belmet. Imagine you live in the, in the middle of nowhere and then you appear on TV from time to time. You have people from Madrid that come here, uh, scientists who come here to talk to you, people who want to talk to you. So in some way she was trapped in his own, in, in, in his own joke. But she didn't start the, the joke, she didn't start the phenomenon. While Maria's goal was not to get rich, Others in her family saw an opportunity as they remembered that people had donated money to the owners of the previous face. They invited the neighbors to view La Pava. And that is when the story began to take on a life of its own. People, in fact, uh, was very Catholic, so I understand when she thought she was fine, something that was almost like the face of Christ. Everybody believed she was not lying. They believed in her words. Soon, people began pouring into the home to view La Pava, and as a sign of gratitude for being able to view the face, they would leave donations to the family. The second Pava appeared, and with it, pictures that tourists could buy. The father was a photographer, 
took pictures and he saw the, the little picture of the face of Belmez. In fact, it was not a very, very big business. It's true that they made money, or not a lot of money, but they did some money in a very poor area of, of, of Spain. And it lasts for, let's say, one of, no, two, three months, no more than that. Yeah, it's true that they have made some money. Uh, maybe now they are, you can go to the house to see the face and you, you gave them five pounds or five dollars. The second face was ordered to be destroyed by the mayor. That happened because uh, there are so many people who went to the village that the mayor said that they had to finish because he, uh, the mayor knew it was a fake. That's why the mayor uh, talked to them and to say we have to finish because there is so many people coming here, let's say three, four, five feet times more people going to the face than people living here. It was a very big problem for, for them. That's why they destroyed the, the first face. But because they have won a lot of some money, let's say money, they, they, they never get rich, but they got some money and they paint another face. But the second face that it is lost was a very shitty face. It, it, was, it, it was not made by the same painter. So they have to destroy the second one and then they paint the third one. The third one is the picture you have seen. If you type face off of Belmez, the face you see is like Gene Simon from Kiss. That's the third face of Belmez. While there were other techniques used, largely the faces were made using this incredibly simple technique of a mixture of pork fat. It also explains why chemical examinations only turned up organic compounds that would be present in a kitchen to begin with. But what of the faces appearing and disappearing in front of those visiting? Simple brain tricks, like staring into clouds. The longer that somebody stared at the kitchen, more faces would appear through the grime. Some, like the faces of children, were simply fingerprints from guests poking at the face on the floor, leaving smudges. It is true that there were bones found beneath the home. But in Belmez, this was not an unusual occurrence. And you have to take into account that the, this area uh, was full of bones. We don't know if these bones belong to human beings. That's nobody knows. And you see the, the picture, you can know. And the other thing that is that this area of Belmer de la Moraleda was full of bones from uh, the animals, for instance, or because they, they have had long time ago uh, wars between Spanish, all the Spanish people and all Moorish people. But it's true that the bones were there. And it's also true that you uh, dig a hole uh, 50 meters away and you will find more bones. As the story gathered national attention, others saw an opportunity to make a profit on the faces. Herman de Argamosa was one of them. Descended from wealth, he never had to gain a formal education. Instead, he used his wallet to increase his standings in social and academic circles. Despite going by professor, he was anything but. In an interview with Pueblo, he was pressed on the issue, leading him to admit that professor was simply a nickname given to him by friends he would donate money to at universities, never once taking or teaching a class. For him, the faces were a way to increase his profile on an international level. That's why he brought Hans Bender into the story. In fact, Bender never wrote nothing about 
faces of Belmeth, and he went, I think he went one or twice, he went to check it out, but he didn't pay so much attention, he was more interested in, in sun and drinking wine and everything, and he never wrote uh, nothing about faces of Belmeth because it was not his business, he has other, he was more focused on Porter Gaze and these kind of things, that's why, but Germán de Argumosa pretend that Hans Bender was very interested. Hans Bender was very interested in coming to, to Spain, but I don't think in the faces of Velvet. And in fact, he went later on to, Ma to Madrid to give a speech, and he didn't talk at all about the faces of Velvet. However, the experiment of sealing the room did happen, but Argumosa wasn't even there for the sealing. He left that to a school teacher. Argamosa only appeared later with a German film crew to show off the experiment. They closed the, the kitchen where the faces have appeared. So they called a notary and the house was sealed. So you, you couldn't come in. And they waited, they took pictures, the pictures disappeared. Like nobody has seen the picture ever. So, and they wait for months. And when they open the, the kitchen again, nothing has happened. In fact, there were two notaries, as was customary to preserve the integrity of experiments. And while one did certify the appearance of new faces, their notes were not certified by the second notary, and the second notary's report is lost to this day. While Argamosa's studies were dubious to say the least, they were huge business. Pueblo, who carried the stories that caught the attention of the nation, saw their circulation multiply during their time covering the faces jumping to almost 50,000 subscriptions. But Pueblo would eventually turn on the stories, publishing a letter which read, Our team is going to air, here and now, all collected data pointing to a fraud. If we didn't before, it was not for lack of testimonies, but for the logical fear we made a mistake. The article laid out stories of people touching the faces and coming away with smudged fingers and more. Even the story of the trial of the faces had been warped over the years. Far from a serious courtroom, the trial was a publicity stunt on the radio. Yeah, that's another funny thing in the, in the folklore of Belmay. The trial of, of faces is in fact a broadcast. In a local radio, they put together people who believe in the phenomenon and people who don't. They, they were having a debate for an hour. They didn't reach any conclusion. And it's what's called the, the trial of, of Belmeth. It's true that and the program was more or less with a lawyer. And one acted as a lawyer of the faces, let's say. The other as a fiscal of the faces. One said it was true. Another said it was not true. The answer was so, in some way uh, the truth. And but they didn't reach any conclusion. But uh, some people thought that the trial of Belmeth it really took place, and it didn't. It was just a program of radio. Project Genesis, years later, was nothing more than an updated version of the notary experiment. Pedro Moros was someone who wanted to be the new Germán de Argumosa, and he wanted to uh, rebirth the phenomenon, so he tried to create the faces at home. That's what he called the Genesis project, but in fact he did it at home with his own hands, it was alone, with nothing more than oil, because the, the faces were painted with oil. It should come as no surprise that the faces after Maria's death were a last-ditch effort to try and increase tourism to the town. 
and if you see if you if you compare there is nothing like the other one like la pava or the or la pelona there it's a forgery the also the others but the others have some let's say taste the new ones were made by people who didn't know how to let alone uh, face but what of the investigation that took place where Iker Jimenez found that there were only organic compounds? Some have argued that their methods were focused on attempting to find solutions they knew wouldn't be there. As Iker Jimenez knows, because he won one of the people involved in the forgery, he went here to try to find the silver ponder, knowing it's impossible to find it. So he presented it as a very strange thing, but the thing is, nobody cared about it. If he, if he tried to prove in a scientific way that it was a very strange phenomenon, but people who love Fortean uh, phenomena, maybe they swallowed the story, but nobody gave a damn about him. However, Jose Grasanea strongly pushes back on the idea that they were selective in what they were searching for. He emphatically insists that the samples he took were simply concrete. What I, what I know, no, I think what I know is that nothing manipulated is there, first of all. What I know is that nothing apart from concrete is there. Why do we see that? Believe me, I don't know. I don't know because I was in place and I saw faces. But there is, there is nothing related to chemistry that, cause, uh, that causes that. Nothing. Uh, due to that, uh, the first thing I, I asked at the time was if there was a magnetic field or, or something uh, physical, more than chemical, explaining that. Uh, from, the, from the chemistry point of view, nothing causes the faces. While Argumosa and others profited from the faces, it was far from lucrative for the people of Belmez. I, I, I wrote about, about Belmez. I made some money, but I didn't get millionaire. Everybody that works and do something tried to get some money. It's that happened. But I I don't believe that the main idea in Maria's camera head was to make money with their faces. She really believed it, it was a religious phenomenon. She even if, if she made money, but I don't think the the money can explain everything. We are not talking about millions. On TripAdvisor. There are only two attractions currently listed in Belmez, Maria's home and the interpretation center of the faces. On the door hangs a sign. It reads, the price of admission is only three euros. Let us know what you think about the faces of Belmez on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Please give us a review and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Visit www.strange-phenomenon.com for a full list of sources and more episodes. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Tarara. It's written and produced by RJ Blake and Ray Tarara. Theme music by Tara Monk. A special thanks to Javier Cavaneas and Jose Javier Grasanea for sharing their experiences and knowledge with us. Javier Cavaneas' book, Los Caras de Belmez, was the greatest paranormal mystery in the history of Spain a fraud? Is available on Amazon.com for purchase. You can find more info about Jose Javier Grasaneas's company at www.incopin.com. Additional music provided by Kai Engel 
Graham Plowman, Sergei Cheremizanov, Ghost Stories Incorporated, and additional stock media provided by Olsound from Pond5.